Well, if you uh, haven't been with us, we've been going through, again, the sermon series, The Holiness of God. Uh, We started with trying to understand uh, what is that idea of holiness, right? It's a word that we use so often, right? We say God is holy and we are to be holy uh, and so we, we, we talked about how that holiness is that separation from God, that God is, is not only separate from sin, but God is completely distinct from everything else that exists uh, in this world. And then we started to move towards this idea of seeing our sin and trying to understand, do we really hate sin in our lives? And, and now the last three sermons, the one that Jason did last week and the next two, are, are really moving us now towards that direction of God's holiness. Jason talked last week that, you know, we need to have a movement towards God. And we're going to continue that conversation today about having that kind of idea of moving towards God's holiness for us as individuals. Now, I'm sure many of you have probably seen on television or seen in a movie the, uh, the classic dream sequence. You know, the one where the kid is getting ready to start his first day of school or he's getting ready to start at a new school and he, he shows up and he's there and, and everyone's just looking at him. And then all of a sudden, everybody just starts laughing and starts pointing at the kid. And he's trying to figure out what's going on And then he looks down and realizes he's standing in his underwear. All right. It's a a classic piece, right? That that feeling of stress that people have, especially when they're going to do something new or or as I said, right, a kid for to go to school for the first time, that feeling, you know, that they may show up somehow forgetting their clothes. Um, Now, it's interesting that that is one of the greatest fears that we have. uh, But I think if we thought about that idea, I'm sure many of us would probably be terrified if we had that happen to us, right? I mean, think about summertime. Think about how many of you are probably just feeling uncomfortable or embarrassed getting in a bathing suit when everyone else is in a bathing suit too, right? There's a feeling that when we are exposed before the world, it's a very uncomfortable feeling that exists. And it's that that's just the physical part. Right. But but what if we what if we were to have a camera and what if that camera was to follow you all over the place and everything that you said and did was on display for the entire world? I'm sure that would make a lot of us probably very uncomfortable as well. You know, I taught middle school for a bunch of years, right? Uh, And those are some very forming years because when when kids hit that middle school age, something starts to happen to them. They, They start to realize, I don't look like everyone else. They start to be conscious of the personalities, that my personality doesn't mesh with the personalities of everyone else or the things that I do are not the same things that everyone else is doing. And I've seen it all the time that what do kids do? Kids become like chameleons. They, they, they start to look and think and act like the kids around them because the last thing they want to do is be exposed that they are different. And as we've as I've went through my middle school years, there were so many times when, when I would talk to kids, they're like, oh, I, I hate hanging out with those kids. I, I hate the way, I hate, I hate dressing like this. 
And you're like, why do you do it? And they're like, well, because everyone else is doing it and I don't, I don't want to feel different. I don't want them to know who I actually am. You know, we're thinking about why is it that the world longs for the nightlife, right? Why is it that the world waits for the sun to go down and then they go out and start the party? I mean, it shouldn't be surprising to us that most crimes are committed at night because those acts are going to hide our deeds of darkness, right? Because again, we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be laid out before everyone else to see who exactly that we are. Now, the scriptures actually talk about this idea. So we, we actually see this in Genesis chapter 3, right? When, when God creates, the, creates man and he puts him in the garden, here's what it says in Genesis 3. It says, uh, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that was forbidden, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man. He said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Now, isn't that interesting? You had two people on earth. Two people who had already been living without clothes on now all of a sudden realized they didn't have clothes on and instantly hid themselves because they were embarrassed. And then they hear God. And they're like, oh no, here comes God. Quick, we, we got to hide ourselves. We can't let him find us. And God's like, hey, where are you guys? And they're like, sorry, God, we're, we're hiding from you. Why were you doing that? We were naked. We were embarrassed, God. Right? You know, this isn't the only example where we see that as well. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman at the well. And he's having this discussion with her. And he finds out, he basically says, listen, I know that you've had five husbands. And I know the guy that you're with right now is not actually your husband. And, and in this time period, she would not have been viewed in a very positive light, right? We, we could say that perhaps she was a woman who had gotten around, for lack of better words, right? And as Jesus is, is, is with her, in John 4, 6, it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon, and that right there tells us the dynamics of this woman's life and how she felt. And you're like, wait, how does that tell me how this woman felt? Well, it says it right there, guys. It says it was noon. Because see, in America, right, we're, we're all about making money. We're all about capitalism, right? We are go, 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 24-7. We're going to keep doing stuff. Well, in many parts of the world... People are much more attuned to taking a break, to spending time with family. And in this time period, nobody would have gone out to do anything at noon because that would have been one of the hottest parts of the day. And people would have said, there's no way I'm doing work then. But see, this woman came to get her water at this time period because she knew that if she showed up at this time, there wouldn't be anyone else around. 
And so she wouldn't have to deal with the scouring looks and the cross-eyed and the, the people pointing at her. She was too embarrassed for all of that. So she made it a point to go when no one else was around because she didn't want people to know who she was and what she was doing. So the thought of all of our dirty laundry being aired for everyone to see, again, is very, it could be very mortifying for us, right? You know, it's also interesting, though, that in both of these circumstances, what did God do? God actually called them out, right? He called out to Adam and Eve, where are you guys? You're here. And Jesus is talking to the woman. He says, hey, listen, I know you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your own. So let's just put it all on the table. I mean, that seems very uncivil of God, doesn't it? I can't believe God would just embarrass somebody like that for their sins. Well, we have a third example, too, in the scriptures where someone has had their heart exposed by God. And this is probably a very familiar story to many of us. Uh, but King David, we all know King David was uh, known for slaying the mighty giant Goliath. He, he's under assault from King Saul and he spares his life. Uh, and he's this great warrior. He's dancing mightily before the Lord in the ark. Right? So, so David is this amazing king of Israel. But then he has this situation with Bathsheba. Right? In, in 2 Samuel 11... He's on the roof and across the way he sees this beautiful woman Bathsheba. And he's basically like, I have to have her. And so he, he has her brought to her. He sleeps with her. And then it doesn't end there. It turns out that Bathsheba is already married to Uriah the Hittite, who is actually off in battle fighting for his king David in this process. And so David here has realized he's committed adultery and he's going to try to weasel his way out of it. And so what does he, what does he do? He, he actually says, bring Uriah back from the front under the pretense that I want to hear what's going on. So he brings him back and he says, hey, what's going on? I want to hear what's happening. And he's you know, sharing some stuff and he's like, you should probably go home and be with your wife now. And he's like, I can't, I can't go. He's like, how can I be with my wife if, if my men are out fighting? And so he ends up staying there on the, the doorstep and David's like, oh no. So now he tries to get him drunk because he's thinking for sure this is going to happen. Well, still doesn't go home. Still doesn't go back to his wife. And he's like, all right, I got to do something drastic here. He sends Uriah back to the front and he sends with a letter and he says, listen, what you need to do is you need to put Uriah on the front line. Put him, put him right in the distance where an arrow can hit him. And then what I want you to do is I want you to pull everyone back because I want Uriah to die. And so that's what happens. Uriah goes back, stands on the front line, everybody gets pulled back, the arrow's coming, Uriah is killed. And David's thinking, whew, now my adultery and murder are not going to be found out by anybody. And in verse 27, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So, so what David did was wrong. If you were not sure, if you were confused that maybe a king was perfect, he was not. He had done wrong here. But then we have 2 Samuel chapter 12. And Nathan, who is a prophet, and Nathan comes to David and he says, David, I, I've got this story for you. I, I, want, you, I want you to hear this, this story. 
He says, look, David, there, there were two guys. There was a rich guy and he had all of this cattle. He had all of the wealth in the world. And there was this poor guy. And this poor guy, all he had was one little lamb. And oh, he loved that lamb so much, David. He took care of it. It, it says he actually treasured this lamb like it was a daughter to him. And David's like, yeah, what happened? And Nathan's like, well, this traveler came. And, Dave, and, and, and this man wants to entertain him. And so the rich man goes to the poor man and he says, give me your lamb. And he takes that lamb and he slaughters that lamb for the traveler so that he can have a meal. And there it says in verses five and six, David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David is like, are you kidding me? That guy is a jerk. He should die. He needs to pay. And then Nathan's like, David, you are that man. David has that come to Jesus moment. And I'm sure for many of us, if we were in that circumstance and our sins were exposed, we would probably be looking for the first rock to crawl under. We'd be like, where is the exit sign? I'm sure our faces would get beat red and we would just hang our head in shame. But he was caught. Hook, line and sinker. Nathan set him up and exposed David for who he was. And then Nathan's like, listen, three things are going to happen because of this. He says, one, the sword's not going to depart from your house. There's going to be violence amongst your own family members and bloodshed. Two, someone's actually going to sleep with your wives, and it actually turns out to be his son. And three, this son that's born to Bathsheba is going to die. But David finally did something right. He finally did something he should have done right from the start after that adultery. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. See, David could have kept playing the game. He could have kept trying to weasel his way and make excuses and done everything. But he finally just owned up to it. Let's, uh, let's try a quick exercise here. I want everybody to say, I have sinned. Go ahead, ready? I have sinned. Okay, good. Let's try, let's try a little bit louder now. Ready? I have sinned. Okay, now, what if I was to ask you to think about the specific sin that you did? What if I was to ask you right now to not just pick like, hey, I stole some bubble gum when I was a kid, but what's the one that you've done recently that you probably would be most ashamed about? And I just asked you to shout it out in front of the rest of the congregation. How many of you would feel comfortable with that? Hmm. Yeah, see, it's easy to say that we have sinned because why? We're all in the same boat. But then as we start getting into the details, we become more ashamed and more embarrassed of what we've done, right? Because, see, when, when, we, when we admit things like that, when, when we become exposed and we are laid bare before people, when we are laid bare before God, it is an awful, awful feeling. But you know what? 
Can we hide our sins from God? No. Proverbs 15. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Psalm 90, verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. I know, I know we do stuff and we think nobody will ever know. And you're right. Maybe nobody in this world, maybe no physical human will ever know what you have actually done. But it doesn't matter if they know because the fact is that God knows. And so again, as sinners, what do we do? We try to hide that. We try to tuck that away. But finally, we had a a place here where David is willing to admit what he's done. And because David is willing to admit it, David is going to find healing in his life. Psalm 51 is the psalm that's written in response to what happens here. So after David is challenged by Nathan, he, 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 writes, he writes his emotions down to the actual events. And, and in this, David is essentially pleading his heart before a holy God. And so this is his reaction here. Psalm 51 verses 1 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, I know you can you can flip there now again 1 through 13. We're not going to read the entirety of David's psalm, but we're just going to read part of it here to get a sense of what David is experiencing. Psalm 51 starting in verse 1. It says, "Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love." According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost parts. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. So what's the first thing he does? He comes before God and he he presents God with his own character. He says, God, I'm making an appeal on who you are, who you have already told us who you are. He he, he uses this term unfailing love. He says it's this this hesed love. It's a covenantal love. And what what does that mean when we use a covenantal love? A covenant is a promise that I make to you. Right? When we get married, we make a covenant to our spouse. What it says is it says, I'm looking out for your best interest. Right? We sign a contract to protect ourselves. But a covenant is made for me to think more about you than myself. And he said, God, you made a promise. Out of your love for me, you made a promise to me. And I want you to keep that promise that your love is not going to fail me, God. 
And what am I asking you to do? God, I want you to blot out my iniquities. Lord, take my transgressions, take my sins and get rid of them. And it's interesting that he uses those three words because they're all essentially the same, but they're different nuances. He's saying to God, he says, look, I have crossed the boundary line, God. You said don't cross this and I've stepped over it and I'm sorry. I've taken your truth. I've taken your goodness, your holiness, and I've, I've twisted it. I've perverted it, God. I've made it something that you never desired it to be. And then I just completely missed the mark of your holiness altogether, God. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Because see, Nathan held a mirror to his life. And he said, look, David, this is who you are. And David was able to see all of the sin and stain and blemish that was on him. And he had a good look at that. And he said, this is not who I need to be. This is not who God wants me to be. You know, seven times in those first 13 verses, he talks about cleansing or washing or blotting. I mean, it's, it's almost the imagery that he's got stuff on his hands and he's, he's scrubbing frantically. He says, get it off, God, get it off. I can't have it anymore. I don't want this on me. And he's, he's washing and he's washing and he's washing himself. And in verse four, he says, against you, only you have I sinned. God, you, you proved exactly who I am. You say that we're sinners and God, you are right. I am. Wait, how, how did how did I thought this was against Uriah? I mean, he killed Uriah. How is this a sin against God? Because, see, God is the one who made the laws against adultery and murder, not Uriah. See, what David did was he properly placed God in the position that he needed to be. He said, God, you alone are the Lord of this world. That's, that's where I owe my sorrow and my grief is to you. And what does he desire? Verse 10, he says, create in me a pure heart. Give, give me that renewed spirit. He says, look, as much as I'm scrubbing here, God, it's not coming off. Because the only way it's going to come off is if you forgive me. Because I can't do this on my own because I've already proved that I'm a sinner. I'm wicked. I'm evil. I'm full of sin, God. God, would you please give me that salvation back? Because the only place we can find that is at the cross. The only place that we can scrub and wash away our sins is when we come to the cross and Christ gives of his life and he says, I will wash that from you. And he goes on and he says, I want the joy back, God. I need that spirit to get me through this. I've been pretty miserable, God. I may have admitted it now, but, but listen, that moment when I, when I was called out, that, that was the, the moment of full recognition. I, I mean, I saw the darkness of my heart, God. 
I mean, I, I mean a moment of, of acknowledging the self-guilt, the, the misery of spiritual defeat. He says, God, remember when I danced before you? I want that back. But again, only through you can I do this. And he says, listen, God, he says, here's the best part, God. If you would grant me this, it's going to be different. Because, because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. I, I, I'm not going to let it end here, but I'm going to start going to sinners all over. I'm going to be telling them, guys, I was a sinner like you. You need to find my God because you will find healing there. It's not going to stop here with me, God. No, no, no. I'm going to keep this whole thing about you going. So, Lord, please, please do what you promised you would do in your unfailing love. And would you just forgive me? We all know that we're sinners. We've all said that. None of you had any problem saying that, right? So if we all understand that, why is it that you and I continue to try to hide our sins from God and from each other? That somehow we feel that if we, we keep it locked up and we're not exposed, that we'll be okay. But what's the reality? The more that we keep it in here, instead of finding freedom, all we're doing is finding a prison cell of shame and we're not actually set free. But if we're able to be like David, if we're able to admit God's holiness and our sinfulness, we will be freed from those shackles of sin and guilt and shame and embarrassment and fear and whatever else is running through your heart and your mind when you think about the idea that somebody might know what I have done. So the reality is we, we shouldn't fear exposure. We should actually welcome it. I know that's a very dramatic thing to say. It's dramatic because we don't want to do it. But what does the scripture say? Test me, Lord, and examine my heart and my mind. I've acknowledged my sin to you and do not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. When is the last time you had gotten before God and said, God, would you show me my sins? When is the last time you have gone to a brother and sister and said, when I make a mistake, you need to tell me? So if you're sitting here and you are weighted down by unconfessed sin in your life, if you are entangled in some sort of mess, What I pray is that you would be willing to admit it to God. And when I say admit it to God, try this next time. 
go somewhere and actually say it out loud to God. Don't just think it in your mind, but actually use the vocal words and say, God, here is what I have done. And I pray as well that you're willing to do that same thing with one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're sitting, but Adam, I can't do that. They're going to judge me. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to know who I am and they're going to judge me. They're, they're not going to want to hang out with me. They're not going to want to be my friends. The, you don't understand, Adam. I can't, I can't do that. We got to understand that if we're a family here, family doesn't reject each other that way, right? Because what this family is supposed to do is to keep pointing you to Christ and helping you walk in that direction. So if someone does come to you and says, hey, I just need to talk, and they confess that sin to you, and it may not even be against you, but they've confessed that sin, you know what you need to do? You need to hug them and hold them tight. And if there are things that need to be worked out in their life, you let them know you're not going anywhere. No matter how bad it gets, we're going to walk this together because you will find healing in the Lord. You will find healing with this family. Because this is a family that loves Christ and wants to love you the way that Christ has loved us. So here's the bottom line of all of this and exposing confessed sin. That again, if you're still sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know, Adam, I don't know, I don't know, here's what you need to know. Christ already knows what you've done. Christ already knows your sins, and guess what? He loves you. And how do we know he loves you? Because when he went to the cross... You were a sinner then. And that's why he came, is to save you from that. Let's pray. Again, this is a weighty conversation, Lord. Lord, it is easy to, to read and, and understand what David had done to see that David confessed Lord, he committed adultery and murder. You know, in our minds, we categorize sin and certainly those we would put towards the top. And, you know, in your view, sin is sin. But Lord, I, I pray that if there is anyone that has been struggling, that has had something that is weighing that down, that they first and foremost would be willing to open up to you, to expose themselves to that to recognize your goodness and your holiness and to say this is what you've called us to, to move in that direction to be like you, Father. Because we know that when we do, we find forgiveness. We find healing in our lives. The brokenness begins to get put back together. And Lord, may I pray that, that you are prepping the hearts of everyone else who is ready to receive those who may need to, to sit down and talk. Give them a spirit of grace and mercy. Give them a, a mentality of, of how to just love through the hurt and through the pain. 
We pray for restitution. We pray for reconciliation, God. Let us experience the joy of your salvation. Thank you for dying for us and making a way. Amen.